The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. As I, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Everything is about to change. It was the second last week of classes, or more precisely, the last second last week of classes, and the last semester of our senior year, only a matter of weeks before graduation. And a few of us were sitting in the library at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. I was working on a sermon for a congregation I was guest preaching at that coming weekend. And two of my friends were busy with their own end-of-the-semester work. We chatted intermittently as we kept each other company and motivated. The senioritis had gotten very, very real at that point. Then it hit me, the line in the commentary that I was reading, everything is about to change, and yet nothing will. The writer was talking about these few verses in John's Gospel, part of the farewell discourse, as it's called, one last teaching and encouragement from Jesus to his disciples just before his death. Standing on the cusp of graduation and at the end of senior year in seminary, those words hit me. Everything is about to change. It became like a sort of call and response between the three of us, a sliver of levity in the midst of the poignant transition of graduation just before we would all go our separate ways as newly minted pastors. Everything is about to change, and yet nothing will. In many ways, seminary was one of the closest communities I've ever had, a group of classmates who grew into deep and abiding friendships in a matter of just four years. 
in these pandemic days, we've even been able to keep up with each other in our shared Facebook group and over happy hours on Zoom, probably more than usual. But it was actually a few years before seminary when I was introduced to the concepts of a chosen family. For better or worse, we're stuck with the families we're born into. We don't get to choose our families of origin, but our chosen family is a much different story. Not that we don't experience meaningful and profound relationships within our families of origin, we certainly do, but I think it's also true that for many of us, our chosen families, our various friend groups, can be just as meaningful and profound. The shared experiences of life, whatever the context, forge deep and abiding relationships. I remember when I was interviewing at St. Philip, and it was my turn to ask the call committee questions, one of the first things I asked each person was to choose one word to describe the congregation. And there were a variety of words shared. I have them written down on a piece of paper somewhere. But one word that was repeated more times than any other was family. Now, though it wasn't specifically named as such, I think what people were touching on in that conversation was this idea of chosen family. Because while we do have actual, uh, or multiple generations of actual families at St. Philip, there is also a deep and abiding sense of friendship in this place between all of us, rooted in years, if not decades, of shared experiences of life together. Jesus and his disciples had only a handful of years together, but they had been through a lot. By this point, the disciples know that one of them is going to betray Jesus, and they're getting the sense that the hour when Jesus will leave them is getting closer and closer. And so in that poignancy, Jesus meets their anxiety with words of reassurance. He calls them friends for the first time, a new way of understanding the fellowship that they all shared together, a sense of mutual dependence and trust for getting through life in Jesus's impending absence. Friends, Jesus says, I chose you. Reminiscent of Jesus's earlier call to the twelve, here a reminder of that chosenness. Friends chosen by Jesus who exist in a community of love rooted first in the love between Jesus and his Father, extending ever outward as an act of intimacy between God and all of us, a relationship that nothing, not even death itself, will take away. Sitting in the seminary library, I read the commentary's interpretation of Jesus' words. In these few verses, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you know how I have loved you these last three years, these last hours. Hold on, friends. Yes, everything is about to change, and yet nothing will.
Or to put it another way, yes, things happen and life changes. But God's deep and abiding love for us, the love that spills out and flows through the community of faith, will never change. Now, of course, in the past year, a lot has changed. Our ways of worshiping have been transformed. Beloved friends and members of this congregation have entered the church triumphant. Even the pastoral leadership of this place has shifted. It feels like everything has changed, and yet, in other ways, nothing has. The friendships, the relationships, the community in this place, the weekly Bible studies and glow gatherings, Holy Communion in the parking lots, all rooted first in the unchanging and abiding love of God. Seven months after sitting in the library writing a sermon and preparing to graduate from seminary, I was kneeling at the front of the sanctuary during my ordination. As the congregation sang, a stream of pastors and deacons lined up to come forward and to offer words of blessing over me. One pastor, one of the same friends I was working with in the library seven months earlier, who had actually been ordained that morning, was next in line. She came forward and leaned towards me with her hands on my shoulders and with an expectant smile whispered, everything is about to change and yet nothing will. Sometimes God is a seminary classmate with an inside joke who reminds you of that deep abiding love. Or sometimes it's a Zoom happy hour with friends or a phone call with a loved one or a fellow church member. The point is that over and over again, the promise of God's abiding love and friendship with us is not an abstract concept, but a real tangible experience. We feel the water on our forehead from the waters of the font. We taste the bread and cup at this table. We hear the word proclaimed in our midst. We experience the presence of our family, whether chosen or biological. In all of this, we are reminded of the promise of the risen Christ, whose love for us, his friends, will never end. Thanks be to God.